0: Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Police have issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second-floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired...
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Our Story, a podcast on American history. I'm Jonathan.
0: And I'm Jay. Jay, how you been, buddy? Doing pretty good, John. How about yourself? No complaints.
1: Jay, why don't you tell everybody what we're talking about
0: today? Well, today uh, we're actually recording on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, You know, a day that commemorates Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, I think we could do several episodes on Dr. King, but today we've decided to talk about his assassination.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, growing up, we didn't learn a lot particularly about his assassination. We learned, obviously, that he was assassinated. But I think, at least in my studies growing up, it was a lot of it was based around his early civil rights work, which, of course, is important. But I was really interested in in researching today's episode about some of the things I had found out. Jay, did you know a lot about the assassination beforehand?
0: No, and I mean, like you said, there's so many things about the the incredible life of Dr. King that we do learn about. His involvement in the civil rights, uh, his involvement in the anti-war movement, and... I don't want to say that his assassination is really just really a footnote it's really more of you know we know that he was assassinated april 4th 1968 we know the person that was caught and convicted of it really i I just know in school we really didn't go much more in depth than that
1: right and you know jay you and i were both born in the early 70s so this was all already history by the time we were born but. You know, the 60s were a very turbulent time. You had the two Kennedy brothers, Robert and John Kennedy killed in the 60s, as well as Dr. King, obviously, and Malcolm X. So, I mean, those 10 years must have been just a crazy time period. Talking about Vietnam, the civil rights movement, probably more turbulent than, than we've seen since. As, as much as people want to complain about the 2000s, it was nothing like probably what they saw between 1960 and 1970.
0: Yeah, I have to agree and, you know, really, if you really think about it, a lot of those things you mentioned. The year 1968, not only did we lose Martin Luther King Jr., that was also the same year that Robert Kennedy was assassinated. And reading up on the assassination, a lot of historians actually say that, that 1968, in a very turbulent decade, 1968 was probably one of the low points of that decade, given the fact that two great men were assassinated in the same
1: year. All right, so let's let's get started at at the beginning. Um, there's a lot of Dr. King. Like you said, we could do many different shows on Dr. King. We probably Absolutely. will throughout the course of our podcasting uh, career here. But let's start. At what brought Dr. King to Memphis, Tennessee, which is where the assassination took place?
0: Right. Actually, so what was going on uh, in Memphis at that time is there was a sanitation strike by um, African American sanitation workers. From what I read, you know, and again, this is not something that we really learned about in school. I mean, the, the conditions that they were working under were, even in that time period, even in, in, the, in the mid to late 60s, I mean, it was horrific. They were severely underpaid compared to their white counterparts. They weren't able to take breaks, there were no bathroom facilities for them. I mean, it was, it was, I hate to say it, it was almost slave labor and they tried to negotiate, they tried many different things. And. I had read that actually, what really led to this strike and led to Dr. King coming down there was the fact that two African American sanitation workers had been killed in a sanitation truck. And that was kind of the real tipping point. So he came in because, as we all know, Dr. King preached nonviolence. He wanted a nonviolent way to end this situation.
1: Right. He was very much a, um, obviously, with so background, know, he was. Still very much uh, pro-union, and yeah, like you mentioned, the the African American sanitation workers weren't even unionized. Uh, I read that the, the the white sanitation workers were unionized, and again, paid better, allowed to you know have bathrooms and stuff like that. But the inciting incident was, like you mentioned, was that on February 1st, 1968, two garbage uh, collectors, Robert Walker and Ethel Cole, they're crushed to death by a malfunctioning garbage truck. The incident shed shed some light on what was going on down there, and and Dr. King is, and this is what he did. Dr. King fought injustices all over the country, injustices towards uh, African Americans, and and this, you know, these two gentlemen. My assumption is that these two gentlemen were crushed because of lack of these safety procedures. So, you know, and Dr. King was a stranger to Memphis, as we'll we'll, we'll find out later. Uh, him and uh, Reverend Abernathy. They would stay at the hotel that where Dr. King was, was eventually assassinated. Often, that they in the same room where they they named it the King Abernathy Suite. You know, like mm-hmm. totally. So yeah, Dr. King and you know, uh, he's in Memphis. He's helping organize and help do nonviolent protests. And I can't I can't stress that enough, Jane. I don't I don't know if people really truly understand what nonviolent protesting is, and I don't know that people nowadays can even. Imagine that you know we recently. I guess the most recent ones we've been dealing with were, you know, the police brutality marches and and Occupy Wall Street a few years ago, <laughs> um, and even those had little little spats of violence. But for Dr. King, wherever he went, it was all about being nonviolent and that you you don't meet hate with hate. You defeat hate with love. And so he yeah, that's what he was doing in Memphis. he yeah. was Organizing. He was helping organize workers. Wanted to show the the nation at the very least, if not the world. What was going on and i think that was where his skill set was really most prevalent in getting the word out to the nation and then to the world um shedding light on these injustices you know in such a way that you know a lot of people knew of of the injustices of of the civil rights of the the african-american in this country but i think because he was getting on the front page of newspapers on the nightly news uh, it's 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 one thing to you know thing and know something, and it's another thing to see it every night. I mean, it's it's also tangentially how the Vietnam War why it was perceived it was because it was on TV every night. You know, the reports of the dying were on TV every night. So it, it's really a, it was really a great job that he did. So he's down there with uh, Reverend Abernathy and uh, uh, Jesse Jackson, who would later become a very famous um, proponent of African Americans in the yes. country. Especially when we were growing up in the 80s and
0: 90s. Um, he, uh, yeah, I mean, Jesse Jackson, I know he, he took a run uh, or he tried to to take a run for the nomination to become president of the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that I find really, really interesting, like you said, is he, he did bring a lot of attention to civil rights in a, in, a, in a time where it was newspaper it was still radio and it was the nightly news which came on at a specific time there were no 24-hour news channels there were no people in these protests with cell phones that could live stream it the fact that he was able to do that and i think the, the fact that you said that he, he preached nonviolence, and I, I, I just find it that if i was protesting something an injustice that was done maybe to myself or a group that i'm involved in where trying to protest and I met with with I mean horrific violence I mean if you've ever seen clips of what these protesters went through fire hoses turned on them attack dogs turned on them angry mobs coming at them for for dr. King not only to never I mean never raise a fist in anger but to encourage his followers and I mean I'm sure there had some people that said look enough is enough I mean they're pushing us to a point we have to I mean, I, I find that just absolutely amazing, and, and like you said, John, I mean, I know in the future we're definitely going to talk about other events in his life, but I, I just find that whole that whole facet of his life just, just absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that's what sets him apart from other historical figures, you know, regardless of what they were famous for. He was a big student of Gandhi, yes. and that's what he you know, that's where he got his, his belief in nonviolence from. But, you know, he wasn't a stranger to death threats or anything like this, so this you know i hate to say that it wasn't a surprise but i mean it was a shock when it happened but in retrospect you know it was well at least an attempt was probably gonna be made again he was he was stabbed um almost fatally in 1958 right 1958 yeah right and and he even told his his he told his wife that um after i think jfk was killed that you know this is probably how he's gonna end up end up going and and this is a quote and he said to his wife and this this is just in speaking to the character of, of martin Luther king jr he said to his wife he goes, this is what is going to happen to me also in regards to after kennedy was assassinated yes. i keep telling you this is a sick society
0: yeah yeah he, he... he did say that and in fact um you know when he was coming down to this uh, sanitation strike he actually originally came down late in march i believe march 27th or 28th to have a march Unfortunately, it ended in violence. So he decided to actually return on April 3rd. His return was almost delayed because the plane that he was going to board to get to Memphis, somebody called in a bomb, threat. Right? So he, he was no stranger to this. And I think one of the things that's amazing is when he did eventually get down there on April 3rd to have another very peaceable protest, he delivered probably, you know, everybody knows the I have to great speech. You know? mm-hmm. But probably another famous speech that he gave was here at the Sanitation Strike, which is the you know the speech has been called "I've been to the mountaintop," and, and in it, it, it's almost like he predicts that he's not going to live to see to see the end of the, the the struggle for civil rights.
1: Right, right. He's, I mean, you can't argue about the kind of orator he was, orator he was, mm-hmm. and his yeah. his baptist minister background definitely serves him both in the I have a dream speech and in this I've been to the mountaintop and he's casting uh, allusions to to Moses where uh, god told Moses that uh, you will lead your people you won't get to the promised land but you will be able to see the promised land because you know that you know Moses did something he shouldn't have done and I forgot exactly how the story went and god's kind of like consequence for him was like all right well you're going to get to the promised land you're going to get to see the promised land but you won't get to go there with them and and so he's saying that he's he's alluding to that in his speech he's saying you know we're going to get there we're getting to the promise the promised land being equal rights uh being treated fairly and equally and humanely in this country we're going to get there he goes i might not get there with you he goes but i've right. been to the top of the mountain i've seen it and we're, we're gonna get there. I, like I like you know I might not get there, but I've seen it and and the thing about Dr. King's speech is you know I did a I you know yeah I have a dream speech is obviously full of hope. yeah uh, the letter letter from a Birmingham jail is full of hope. Even this, this speech is full of hope because he's saying he's telling the people he's like, you know we're getting there. It might not be in my lifetime, but we're gonna get there and we just have to keep doing what we're doing. Which included the peace. He calls. He would constantly call white people my white brothers. You know, I, I think yes. he even alludes to some of them being. You know, even even the ones that are against him, he would call my sick white brothers. You know, so it was it was even just kind of allowing saying you know they're still my brothers. They're sick, I guess. In, modern day parlance would be they're mentally ill or they just they're they're not right. Right. Um, but they're still my brothers. So.
2: I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not feeling any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
0: You're probably right. It's probably
1: right behind you. I have a dream speech. And I think it, for people that don't research it like we've just researched it they might conflate the two and think that they're kind of the same speech um but they're definitely not but um no it's it's a great speech he gives april 3rd um to the sanitation workers and well to everybody at, at a rally um and then they retire back to the lorraine motel in memphis
0: yeah and you know like you said john he and reverend Abernathy was the name stayed there quite often when he was in Memphis in fact they stayed in room 306 which they kind of dubbed the King Abernathy Suite so that's where they were staying so April 4th comes around there's, there's going to be another uh, event held that night Dr. King of course is getting ready and you know in my research I found that one of the one of the last things that he's said was as he was coming out of this hotel room there was a singer there by the name of Taylor Branch who really not familiar with him, I'm going to assume he was a gospel singer because Dr. King asked him, you know, at the event coming up, if they were going to, if he could sing a, he requested that he sing a song Take My Hand, Precious Lord, and he said you know, sing it real pretty and then mm-hmm. that's, that's when fate struck right, right around right. there
1: So uh, Dr. King was, he was shot outside of Room 306 at the Lorraine Motel he was shot from across the street at a boarding house i believe it was a second floor window maybe
0: second floor i believe they say it's it was from the bathroom
1: from the bathroom window at a boarding house Mm -hmm. uh, across the street from the hotel uh, motel right yeah one shot
0: one Mm -hmm. shot rang out struck him from what i read struck him in the face and i guess you know look i'm i'm not a ballistics expert I, i don't know how this works but basically i guess from hitting all the bones in his face i mean shattered his 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 jaw and actually traveled down his spinal column shattering his his bones in the spinal column as well as rupturing major organs uh, i'm sorry major uh, blood vessels you know the the,
2: daughter, the jugular yeah,
0: yeah the jugular vein and i mean you know i i have a background in healthcare if you hit the aorta if you hit the jugular i mean that's really you bleed out right almost instantly because Ooh. there's so much pressure these are the major vessels that you know go into and come out of the heart there's so much pressure there that if they're ruptured like it was here you know with the gunshot wound i mean essentially you're going to bleed out really within seconds i mean there's there's really no chance at all unfortunately
1: well he was still alive and they got him to a hospital where i believe he was pronounced dead at around 705 p.m. so he was shot a little after 6 and whether or not he was alive or it just took them that long to pronounce him pronounced an hour later I, I believe they i believe he was still alive when when, when he was rushed to uh, st joseph's hospital y- yeah
0: one of the things i read is and again there's really no recording of this assassination i mean there's pictures of of the aftermath There's a few different accounts. I know for a while Jesse Jackson had said that he was holding Dr. King, but then he later changed his story and said that he was very close by. Another one of his supporters was actually there and thought that he was dead, but then was able to actually feel a very faint pulse. Uh, And like you said, about an hour later, he was pronounced dead. Something interesting that I read is they actually opened him up to do sort of like internal cardiac resuscitation, almost like massaging the heart. I don't know if it was there or if it was the autopsy afterwards. And this is the thing that I, you know, I just, something I never knew. I mean, Dr. King, when he died, was 39 years old. And I would see pictures of him. In fact, I have in front of me a mug from the uh, MLK Memorial in Washington, D.C. And it's a picture of him giving the I Have a Dream speech. And I would look at him and think, When he gave that speech, he was at least in his mid forties. They said he was thirty-nine years old, but he had the heart of a sixty-year-old, which they assumed was from the the you know ten to fifteen years of him being the civil rights struggle with all the stress that he went through. If it wasn't this, I mean, his heart might have eventually given out because of all the stress that he was under.
1: Yeah, I was was shocked to see how old he was, or how young I guess he was when he was uh, right. He was assassinated. I just I I thought he was mid to late forties at the youngest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was thirty-nine. I mean, that's amazing to me. But but then I mean you know, he did a lot in thirteen So so he was he was working in the civil rights movement for about thirteen years, more yes. or less. So he's he's killed on April 4th. The famous line from uh, the U2 song Pride in the Name of Love says early morning, April 4th, shot rings out of the sky. Well he was killed in the early evening. So yeah. I was like, I was I was even shocked that I was killed that late. I was like, Oh, Bono lied to me. <laughs>
0: I guess it's license, more. Like, I guess right. it's more poetic, or, or whatever. But uh, right. I mean, I mean, the sentiment is the same. Now, I know there's a lot of speculation about the assassination. Who was really behind it? There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And and before we recorded, John and I did talk about it, and we decided to stick really with the facts that we have. Yes, there are lots of con- conspiracy theories out there. You're more than welcome to, to research them, but we're we're really you know in terms of who the assassin was, we're we're sticking with really I guess the official account.
1: Well, even just reading up on it, there's such a preponderance of evidence against it's James Earl Ray. James Earl Ray, yes. yeah. They found his fingerprints everywhere, and well, we, let's talk about that. So, sure. uh, James Earl Ray is accused of committing the murder. He's he flees the country and is caught in London. Mm-hmm. Trying to get on a plane to, I believe, South Africa or some other place that doesn't have an extradition. Right. About April, May, about two months later, I believe it's called. All, yeah, Florida, almost, right? almost
0: exactly two months later. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And they brought him back, and somebody, uh, and he actually confessed. He confessed to it in order to avoid. He confessed to the murder in order to avoid a death sentence. Yes. But the, you know, do you want to talk about the evidence?
0: You, you know, right away. Eyewitness accounts said that they did see a man almost minutes after after the shot, after the shooting, fleeing from the boarding house uh, with a description that they said was similar to James Earl Ray. They found a package with the rifle that was used, with his fingerprints all over it, in the room in the boarding house, and specifically in the bathroom. I mean, his fingerprints were everywhere. It is essentially what they found, and this is how they were able to identify. That he was, or, or he, he was a prime suspect because just, I guess, determining where the shot came from and finding his fingerprints everywhere, he instantly became a wanted man. And what's interesting is, is like John said, in order to escape the death penalty and under the advice of his lawyer, he pled guilty, but then three days later, he fires his original lawyer. And tries to sort of retract that plea of, of guilt, saying that he was framed,
1: and to the point where even in the early or mid '90s, King's son Dexter went to visit him in prison and walked out of that. And I think I remember this. He walked out of there, beat uh, yeah. him. Yeah, like,
0: and that was kind of a bombshell that he believed them. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it was exactly at that point or maybe even before. I think the entire King family actually fought for, they wanted a retrial. They believed that he was a patsy and he was a scapegoat. And eventually, James L. Ray, I don't know exactly when, he does pass away in prison. But for years, he tried to get another trial. He tried to get uh, exonerated. So much so, I think his lawyer that he hired after firing his first one still. I think to this day is still trying to get his name cleared saying that no it was not him there's a vast conspiracy against dr king and he's the ball guy
1: it's a curious thing it seems that uh i don't know i, I mean i think people love comp- conspiracy theories like i said the preponderance of uh, i mean evidence. yeah I,
0: a lot of it like i said they, they found the gun they found the package and mm-hmm. he did he was registered as purchasing the, right. the rifle he
1: purchased the rifle not a rifle but the rifle the rifle king. exactly yeah the
0: rifle six days before the shoot yeah.
1: right and he had rented the room in the boarding home he dropped it on the way out he dropped the gun out of his home
0: yeah i mean he, he one of the things he said is he said i should not directly shoot dr king however inadvertently i might have been responsible he, he mentions. I believe uh, a French Canadian by, he said that went by the name of Raoul. And uh, I think he also talks about, you know, James Earl Wright talks about his own brother and, and, and really his sort of defenses. Yeah. Maybe I was there and I didn't pull the trigger, but. But he bought
1: the rifle. He rented the room.
0: Right. But he was sort of saying there were the other, these other forces out there that, Oh, next thing I knew Dr. King is dead. Like it, there was never, in all the reading that I did, there was never really. He never really had. He never had an alibi. He was there. His fingerprints were everywhere. He did purchase the weapon, as you said, but he he claims innocence. I know they did try to follow up. One of his lawyers did try to say that he wasn't even in Memphis at the time, but nobody could nobody could corroborate that. Right, he couldn't he didn't corroborate that it wasn't
1: there. So he gets convicted. He gets ninety nine years in jail. A little funny thing, uh, I read that he, he and a few other inmates, I think, escaped <laughs> in 1977, I think. Yes, I think so, and And they were recaptured a few days later, and they added one year onto his <laughs> yeah. sentence, so he, he got an even 100 at one he point. got an even 100 years, yes. Yeah. yes,
0: yes. Yeah. Now, an assassination of this scale, of this magnitude, I think it's just as important to talk about the aftermath, because when this happened, I'm sure... America was bracing itself. I mean, this is this is probably one of the the most predominant civil rights leaders in America. He was just assassinated. What is going to happen now? And I think it's absolutely amazing. Some of the things that did take place after the assassination. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to touch on? Because I know there were a few responses from some key people.
1: Well, uh, you know, um, almost immediately—not immediately. You know, this is '60s. We didn't travel as fast as it travels now. But mm-hmm. I think Linda Johnson found out about an hour. After, well, he was found dead at a little after seven, so I think Johnson found out around eight, eight o'clock. He canceled a scheduled meeting he was going to have on the Vietnam War
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to any uh, declared national day of mourning. Um, you want to talk about Robert Kennedy's
0: response? Yeah, Robert Kennedy was on the campaign trail trying to get the uh, Democratic nomination for president. And I think as he was boarding a plane, I believe, to Indianapolis to speak at an event, he found out about it. And, you know, he was advised really maybe not to say anything about it or try not to touch on it because he was going to Indianapolis, which was a predominantly African-American city. They didn't really want him sort of breaking the news or anything like that. But Robert Kennedy, being the man he is, said, absolutely not. You know, this is this is huge. I, I can't ignore this. What I read from what I understand, on pretty much on that plane ride over to Indianapolis, he wrote his own speech, it was in an Indianapolis neighborhood on top of a flatbed truck, delivered a five minute speech where he actually, for a lot of people there, like John said, there's no CNN, there's no Instagram, Facebook. When Robert Kennedy reported the death of Martin Luther King, most of the people there, this was the first they were hearing of it. Could you lower those signs, please?
1: I have some very sad news for all of you, and that is
0: that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis, this I think the governor of Indiana said, look, you're going to talk about this. I can't, I can't guarantee your safety. And he delivered what a lot of people consider probably one of the greatest speeches ever where he talked about his sorrow, uh, about what happened and urged, really urged the crowd and, and tried to urge, I guess, people nationwide to really continue his tradition, uh, Dr. King's tradition of nonviolence. And, you know, they said that this speech that he gave, a five-minute speech, probably was the main reason why there were not riots in Indianapolis that night, when there were riots nationwide, when people heard the news.
1: It's kind of the saddest book end to this whole story. Dr. King, obviously a man of peace, many of his his peers spoke out about you know Dr. King's response to seeing these riots. So. In response to the assassination, in their grief and their anger and their anguish, over 100 riots broke out across the country in major cities. Some of the cities mostly devastated by the riots. You have Washington, D.C., Chicago, Baltimore, Mm -hmm. Kansas City, Detroit, New York City, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Wilmington, Delaware, Louisville. And I just briefly want to talk about, you know, you and I are both from New Jersey. Yes. And a riot broke out in Trenton, New Jersey, which which is the capital of the state of New Jersey. Uh, let me just give you some numbers one 300 people most of them this is in trenton specific okay. when 300 people most of them black young black men were arrested on charges ranging from assault and arson to looting and violating the mayor's emergency curfew 200 trenton businesses mostly in downtown were ransacked and burned 16 injured policemen 15 firefighters were treated at city hospitals for smoke inhalation burns springs and cuts suffered while fighting fires or injuries inflicted by riders the citizens of Trenton's urban core pulled false alarms and would throw bricks at firefighters responding to the alarm boxes. The losses secured by downtown businesses were initially estimated by the city to be 7 million but the total of insurance claims in southern came to 2.5. Trenton's Battle Monument neighborhood which is a neighborhood where there's a monument to the Battle of Trenton It's a, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's like a very tall pillar With a, a statue of George Washington at the top Trenton's Battle Monument neighborhood is hardest hit Since the 1950s, North Trenton have witnessed a steady exodus of middle class residents And Orion spelled the end for North Trenton By the 1970s, the region had become One of the most blighted and crime-ridden in the city And you and I both live in New Jersey And, and yeah. you know Have to go to Trenton for various reasons uh, The city hasn't fully recovered yet Like most, at least, neighborhoods in these bigger cities haven't recovered yet you know new york city recovered in the 90s pittsburgh's downtown area is, is really nice uh cincinnati i think it's recovered a little bit i can't speak to chicago or dc baltimore but they've all uh, you know it, it, that night was the turning point in the country not only for civil rights but for all these major cities and these, these specific african-american neighborhoods another Aftermath is that they settled the sanitation strike in the workers' favors very quickly afterwards. Uh, I think there was a, a greater understanding among the people of the United States in regards to the civil rights movement. I think unintentionally he paid for for that for moving forward with his own blood and kind of opened the country's eyes. You know, you, ha- you have these these pivotal moments in the civil rights movement. You have you know, Rosa Parks not getting off the bus. You have the four girls being firebombed in, in a church down yeah, in Alabama. You have Mega Evers, you know, you have these these moments that really these horrible violent, vicious moments inhumane moments of, of, of people in this country being just inhumane to other people in this country for, for no other reason the color of the skin and uh, I think Dr. King's assassination really kind of helped kind of shocked the country into like what is going on? What is happening here?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's that's really remarkable about Dr. King, like you said, a lot of the progress, you know, the sanitation strike, of course, in the short term, and then some of the the progress that came after that, you know, he paid for with his life. And we can't confirm this. This this is sort of my thinking and my theory is I think he always knew that that was something that was going to happen. He. The day before he delivers this speech, I've been to the mountaintop where he, he tells, he tells the people in the crowd that I, I see it. I see the promised land where we're all gonna live together, but I'm not going to be there when that happens. It's almost like he knew that one of the steps to get towards that promised land would be he would have to sacrifice himself like, like he did. And I, I mean, you, you talk about courage and you talk about police officers that put their lives on the line every day, and and firefighters, and soldiers, and absolutely. But for a, for a man who preached nonviolence, who never raised his fist in anger, he was a very public figure. He knew that he had several targets on his back to get up and to do this constantly. I mean, that's, I mean, cur- courage doesn't even seem like an appropriate word, like there has to be a word that really just kind of magnifies or emphasizes the courage that he had. I, I really wish there was a better word than just saying he was a courageous man because it's right. it, it goes beyond that. All
1: right. So, is there anything else you want to talk about the assassination? Because I, I do want to quickly—we are recording this on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. His birthday is January 15th, but it's always the third, I guess, third Monday in the month. So, is there anything else you want to add about the? Assassination. Because I do want to talk briefly about the the holiday and how it came to be. Because you and I, we lived in a time. <laughs> we remember a time when there wasn't a MLK. Day. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah.
0: I mean, one thing I did read that I thought was, was pretty interesting was in in the aftermath. Like you said, President Johnson declared the following day uh, a nat- or I don't know if it was the following day or, or a day or two later, a national day of mourning uh, to have all the flags at half staff. Governor George Walker. Who was on record as a segregation? When asked about the assassination, said that it was probably one of the, the most horrible times in, in American history. You know, he, he, he was he was really he was very saddened by it. You know, and this was somebody who who strongly believed in segregation, and it was this what changed his heart. Or, but but it definitely can I tell you?
1: Can I tell you, Governor George Wallace, who was the governor? That made the president send the national guard. Yeah. Like because of the governor's refusal to integrate schools is the reason yeah. why uh, the national guard had to be sent to the schools to integrate them. This guy has a uh, sidebar. He has such an interesting life. We should really kind of do an episode on him because he was very pro segregation. Somewhere along the line, he has a change of hearts so that when he runs again as governor, he gets he gets like ninety percent of the black vote. It's really he's really got an interesting story because uh, uh, even till till the end of his life it was like did he really have a change of heart or did he just play the political game of you know like pandering to the to the people to get their votes so we should really think about doing a show on him absolutely uh, but anyway but yes
0: touch on the holiday yes go ahead all
1: right so basically you know I, I jokingly said that we remember a time but we do we remember a time when we did Luther King it was not even just wasn't something that existed so in 1983 yes ronald reagan mm-hmm. signed into a law a bill that created a national holiday honor dr king the first observance of the holiday i don't know why it took three years but the first observance <laughs> was uh 1986 and i was uh i was in eighth grade so i guess that's when we got our first martin Luther king jr day uh, eighth grade yeah so now uh, when laws like that are signed you know the uh the states kind of had to approve it, and, you know, 99% of the time they all do. But the governor, a governor of Arizona, uh, Bruce Babbitt, signed the executive order in May of 86, declaring the third Monday in January should be Dr. King Day. But before the holiday in 1987, the new governor, Evan Me- Meacham, he made his first act to rescind the <laughs> proclamation. Uh, he, said it created, it, he said it was created illegally by the former governor Babbitt, and the state attorney agreed meacham issued a proclamation saying that besides king the entire civil rights movement would be honored on the third sunday of every january meaning workers would not get a paid day off <laughs> this spurned boycotts wow. by major artists like they wouldn't go perform in arizona or anything like that yeah so arizona had the chance to write the ship again the voters in 1990 and they voted against the creation of the holiday <laughs> once again in 1990 uh but two years later they changed their minds when the NFL of all people pulled the Super Bowl from Arizona right. because they did not want to deal with uh, backlash. Uh, Arizona voters went back to the polls and approved a measure to create the holiday. So Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as we know it today, was first marked in Arizona in 1993, seven years after
0: most of the rest of the country celebrated. And that's what it took. I mean, I hate to say it. It, it took the loss of, of revenue from the NFL. Yep. It's... And again this is my opinion i mean, i just i i don't i don't understand the, the the backlash against it and sort of saying well we'll give a day to, to honor not just this man we'll honor the entire civil rights movement on a weekend when it doesn't affect workers And right. the, i mean i don't want to say that it was a meaningless day but by kind of pushing it to a weekend and kind of muting it by saying I mean, I don't know if they called it a civil rights day, but basically just saying that, like, oh, we'll give you a day to honor Civil Rights on the weekend.
1: It's, well, what, what's, it's... what's funny is, and I don't know if it relates to MLK Day, but if you remember, we started getting MLK Day, mm-hmm. but we always had two days in February. We always had Washington and, and Lincoln's birthday. They separated them. They separated them, yeah. And then all of a sudden it became President's Day a few years later. God. So they, they right. took a day from us in February, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But I just—it's—I just—it's weird that I remember I, that I remember that that like a holiday was created. It's not often you look through the creation of a holiday.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very true. I remember again, like you said, it came. What was it '83 that Ronald Reagan signed it? Signed it in '83. In I remember right. the debate about it. And for some reason, I'm remembering that even though I don't think the states have started ratifying it yet, for some reason here in New Jersey, I remember almost right away. Getting that day off, like like that, just it just suddenly, like New, almost like New Jersey and maybe some other states, sort of said, "Oh yeah, this is a done deal. We're we're, we're going to make it an official holiday." Like, I just I, for some reason I remember getting it off earlier than 86 but then again, it could be wrong.
1: <laughs> well, uh, maybe New Jersey did it before the country did it.
0: Yeah, we're we're, we're just that
1: progressive. <laughs> yeah, <we> sure. <laughs> All right, final thoughts on the assassination.
0: It was pretty interesting doing some research on it. My brother-in-law for a time lived in Memphis. We did go down there and he did take us out because the Lorraine Motel mm-hmm. ended up becoming a civil rights museum. Mm-hmm. The actual motel itself has a lot of uh, artifacts and, and writings and pictures from that time period. There was a wreath outside of room 306 pretty much marking the spot where Dr. King fell don't know if they still do this but I remember when we were there because we went during the day and then we came back at night because my brother-in-law drove us around to kind of show us downtown Memphis and everything and we went by it again they actually had a laser beam going from tracking the path of the shot from the um, bathroom across the street in the boarding house going all the way to the room there kind of like marking that path of, of what happened and it's it's definitely if you're ever in that area i mean there's actually a lot of great things to see in memphis some historical things that's definitely a place to go check out did you ever get a chance to head down there and, and take a look at the museum
1: uh well about 11 years ago we drew a uh, friend of mine and myself drove across country and we stopped at Memphis for a few hours In between St. Louis and Dallas On our way to Dallas from St. Louis And unfortunately we, didn't. we went to Graceland, <laughs> we went to Graceland <laughs> which, which a That's
0: a good sight to see I, I did go there too <laughs>
1: um, We went to Graceland and ate some Memphis Barbecue and got back on the road So <laughs> no But that's cool that you went there Because I actually went to the Martin Luther King Jr. National Historic Park In Atlanta where he was born Mm-hmm. And where he preached and his ha- I didn't go in the house but his the house he's born in is still there and preserved uh, his his church the Ebenezer Baptist Church is there it's a huge huge park it's like a it's like it takes up like a whole like that the, the block his house is on mm-hmm. I think that whole block is part of the park wow like all the houses there and, and the and, and his, the church is actually down the street from his house but it's a it's a really wonderful museum the 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 uh, I, I'm assuming I'm assuming the tomb I'm assuming it's, that, it's it's his and Coretta, his wife, it's their tomb. It's a big marble granite thing, or, well, marble, I think. Um mm-hmm. tombstone with their names. It's really a, a, a sight to behold. It was one of the more somber places I had ever been in, and it was, uh, it was very eye-opening. If, if anybody ever gets a chance to go to Atlanta, go down there, and they should do that, uh, because it's, it's really a... And it, and it celebrates his life, which is a good thing, so... Um, Absolutely, cool. Yeah, and also I want to mention that there's a civil rights museum in Alabama. I can't remember if it's, I can't remember. I think it's Mobile, okay, or Birmingham.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But that was really that. If you want to talk about, it's a, it's in Birmingham. It's a Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. It's across the street or very near to the church that was firebombed when four little girls were killed. Oh, um, okay. and there's a park yes. There's a park across the street from it that they own. But it's it's got like statues and and just you know you're talking about how people are treated there's uh there's there's statues of like dogs being sicked on people of fire you know the fire hoses being turned on people it's it's that's really a, a somber i'll tell you it's it, one of the things that really took me back was they have like kkk memorabilia in there and they have a you know the white hood and all that stuff and you know sure. i had never i had never seen that except in movies you know like fletch 2 and things like that where <laughs> oh, where it's the butt of a joke you know but right, when right i was standing in front of that glass case with a with a natural kkk robin hood on a mannequin it's scary man it's it's intimidating it's it's it was really like i didn't think i that would affect me just by looking at it close close up but it does man it's it, it, it's a it's a real. I mean, it's it exudes hate for some reason, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was pretty wild.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's what's interesting about you know, like like you're talking about the '60s, not right before I did research for this. Just just in general, just talking to my father, born in 1940, so the '60s. I mean, that there were some of his prime years, and he said vietnam war like he's mentioned on tv every night and he said all these civil rights protests specifically the nonviolent ones where you see people just marching just marching very peaceably just just asking for the same basic human rights that the rest of the country has and he said to see people just marching peacefully men women children not raising a fist in anger to have dogs turned on them in the fire. He said he goes, at some point, you, you just can't take it anymore, and you just you just have to say, why is this happening? And it was the time for it. It was the, the this exposure that they had that people, like he like my dad would say, you would you would hear about these things. You would hear about the segregation in the south and the Jim Crow laws, but you would hear about it. He said, when you would see it night after night on TV, innocent people, men women children just being brutalized just because they want they just want the right to live and exist and be treated fairly he said it doesn't matter <laughs> you know he said it, it'll turn your heart because it's just it's just unfair and unjust it's like he said i think the 60s is probably one of the most tumultuous times in american history absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Whew.
1: All right, so that's the MLK assassination. We appreciate everybody listening to us. So, Jay, yes. we've thankfully, we've been made available on many, many more platforms. We're on Google yes. Play, Spotify. I always say this wrong. Is it Podbean or Bean Pod? <laughs> I, I think it's Podbean. Podbean, okay. Yeah. Um, Stitcher, I believe, also. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if you like what you're hearing and this is our second episode,
0: uh, tell your friends and, and subscribe. Also, uh, head on over to Instagram because we do have an Instagram page now. Our Ooh. story, yeah, take a look for it there. We will post pictures of you know the content that we talk about. Also, it's a great place to reach us. We monitor it, so if there's something you want to hear about, send us a message there, and there's a good chance that we will talk about it in a future episode.
1: What is it? Our story? Uh, it's just
0: it's just our story. Just oh, if okay. you search for our story, you will find it.
1: Awesome. <laughs> All right. uh, this,
0: was, uh, this, was, this was a good one to talk about uh, yeah. I mean, I think history John and I, in our first episode We talked about why we love history so much And I, I think this is a great example Of why we love history Because this isn't just dates And facts and figures I mean, there's so much human emotion That goes behind These true stories Which is why we love history so much Exactly. All righty.
1: Well, Jay, I want to thank everybody for listening to our second episode and hope they join us for our third and fourth and, blah, 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 and all the rest. Just remember, everybody, it's not just history, it's our story. We'll see you next time.